Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. All right. This is a, a fourth lesson. We're just talking about the, the subject, divine healing and health. It's essential to all of us because, first of all, Jesus died for us, spirit, soul, and body. Man is a tripart being, spirit, soul, and body. When he separated from God, what happened? His spirit was separated from God. His soul became darkened. His body became mortal or subject to death. And you can see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 23, where Paul said he prayed that our whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. And so man's a tripart being. Well, because of Jesus, we can be restored. And because of Jesus, the spirit can be born again. The soul, mind, will, emotions, intellect can be uh, changed by receiving the word of God. Remember the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the spirit's been dealt with, it's born again, but the soul's got to be renewed to the word of God. And then the body, praise God, one day it'll be glorified. Amen. It'll be glorified. And thank God we can live in a glorified body throughout the eternal ages where you can eat and not gain weight. Isn't that great? Isn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> you can eat and not gain weight. Amen. All right, Jeremiah 29, and this is uh, verse 11 from the, uh, this is the living Bible translation of it. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So, I believe that God has a destiny for each and every one of us. So your first word there, everyone has a destiny. We all have a destiny. It's a predetermined future uh, that leads to a destination. Destiny, we could say, is... Uh, this life that you live here on this earth. But the goal, notice number two there, a destination is the goal of a journey. This is where you want to get to. That's the place you want to end up at. So as, I, as we live our lives here in the earth, that's our destiny. But the goal is our destination. So this is the trip along the way. Your next word is trip. It's a, your destiny is a trip along the way. So this trip along the way involves our living our lives here upon this earth. And we have an end result that we're looking for. Perfect example would be the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. The destination was Canaan's land or the promised land. But the destiny would be the trip along the way. Now, you know as well as I do, between every promise and its fulfillment is a wilderness. How we act in a wilderness will determine whether or not we experience the promise. And so under the leadership of Moses, they didn't behave correctly. Now, as a result, many of them died in the wilderness and we're denied entrance into the promised land. And in the promised land, we have a land that flows with milk and honey. God says, I'll be your God. I will be your, an enemy to your enemy, an adversary to your adversary. In other words, I will give you a life on this earth like you have never experienced before if you serve me. But what kept them out? The trip along the way was full of doubt, fear, unbelief, all kind of situations they encountered that created all these emotional upheavals in their lives. And so they were denied entrance into the promised land. As a matter of fact, Moses himself, because he disobeyed God, was not allowed to enter into the promised land. 
So the destiny would be this wilderness or trip along the way. The destination would be in the fullness of the benefits of God, which would be the destination. But they didn't make it in. Why? Because of how they acted in the wilderness. Now think about that. From 20 years old and up, they were responsible for how they behaved in the wilderness. 19 years old and down, you know, they stayed with them. And then God raised up a new generation out of Joshua. And out of Joshua, he developed a people of faith. People that would believe him, trust him, obey him, honor him. As a result, in the wilderness, they were different. And they finally got to the promised land and they got in. Why? Because of their faith. Unbelief kept the others out under Moses, but faith got them in under Joshua. And as a result, of course, they experienced what God wants for all of us. The highest quality of life that you can have on this earth. So God's destiny includes a plan for our lives. That's your next word, a plan for our lives. Or did we get all that? You got all the words so far? Sometimes I rattle off too fast, but I'm slowing down. <laughs> he has a plan for our lives, something good and, and not evil at, to give us a hope. That's your next word. Something that's good and not evil to give us a future hope. He has that for all of us. But then again, we have an enemy. Have you noticed that? Satan has a plan also. His includes a plan for our lives, but something that's evil, not good, to give us a future despair or a hopelessness. That's what his plan is. So you got God's plan, you got the devil's plan. Jesus basically said it in one scripture verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and that more abundantly. There's your dividing line between what is of God and what's of the devil. If it gives life in that more abundantly, it's from God. If it's killing, stealing, and destroying, it comes from the devil. It can't be plainer than that. It can't be simpler than that. Can you see that? So in other words, let's put it this way. God's good. The devil's bad. Easy to say it that way, right? God is a good God. And the devil's a bad devil. And that's all there is to it. And what he wanted was to usurp the authority of God. He wanted to rise up over the clouds of God. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will five times in the book of Isaiah 14 and said that I will be exalted like the most high God. And so he wanted what God had. He was selfish, self-centered and self-willed. He had no concern about what God had established for his life. He wanted something more. As a result, of course, he influences people today to do the same thing. He met Adam and Eve in the garden. What happened? She fell victim to that mentality and decided, well, there must be something better that God's holding back from me. And as a result, of course, she fell victim to that and that mentality. And she ate from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And she fell. Opened up the door to all kinds of heartache and pain, especially in childbearing. She did that. So, ladies, when you get there, talk to her. Talk to her. Okay? About that. All right. We can change our destiny. We can change our destiny. This is the trip along the way. Every single one of us has the opportunity to change our destiny. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and we're going to read this. This is uh, beginning at verse 46. And this is a man. Think about this. How many people are really named in the Bible that God healed? He didn't even, he didn't even name uh, Peter's mother-in-law. All we know is she's Peter's, he's, she's Peter's mother-in-law. That's what we know. We don't know her name, but she got healed. The centurion's son or soldier. We can go on name the woman with the issue of blood. The issue woman, we call her. 
But here we got blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And so they give us an identity. We know who he is. We know his name. We know his father's name. Apparently he was a person of primary importance in, in the land or whatever. But it was specified that this is who this person is. This man really lived. And this man was blind probably all of his life and suffering in such a way so as to think that this was his destiny. And if you think about that, if you're all for all your life, if you're blind and you can't see, you can't navigate through life without the help or guidance of somebody else, that's my destiny. I have heard so many people since I've been a born-again believer say, well, this is what God has for me. I've got to settle for it. Don't buy the lie, because if you buy the lie, you won't rise up in faith and overcome and change your destiny. You just won't do it. You'll think that it's God. And God says, no, no, is it good? Well, then it's not from me. Is it evil? Well, then it comes from the enemy. I don't want it for you. Okay, so here in chapter 10, beginning of verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, uh, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many char charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. And commanded him to be called. And they call the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith had made thee whole. Notice, thy faith had made thee whole. And immediately... He received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, that's the story of this blind man. But notice just the fact that Jesus said, it's your faith that made you whole. What does that tell me? If he did not apply himself and it implies faith, would he have ever become whole? If he would have accepted the fact that that's his destiny, this is how God wants me to be, it must be because you know why? This is how I was born or this is the way it's been. I have this accepted in my life. That's not what Jesus said to him. Buddy, your faith has made you whole. He told the woman with the issue of blood, who got up out of her place, set aside all her religious tradition, went and got Jesus, and finally touched him of his garment, changed her destiny. And she said all the truth, and he said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. She changed her destiny. So in your notes here, his destiny was chosen by circumstance. It was chosen by circumstance. He was blind, begging to exist, and living in misery. That was his life. Now, he could look to people to provide for him food, clothing, water, maybe some blankets, like we do with the homeless. When we go up to Pittsburgh, you know, we take them clothes, we give them food, we give them water and all that. But how many of you know we can't really change their destiny? What he needed, man could not provide. What he needed, only God could provide. Man could never heal a blind man. Just no possibility, especially at that time. There was no way this man could be healed. He could have sat back where he was begging as he was every day, single day of his life and stayed in that destiny and just lived out his length of days with a cup in his hand, begging people for money to provide for him an existence. He could have done that. But you know what? I believe this is written here for a reason. 
It's to motivate anyone and everyone who may feel as though that because this is my circumstance, it must be the will of God for my life. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. If he would have accepted that, he would have never received his healing. But he refused to accept that and changed his destiny. All right. Uh, begging to exist and living in misery is your next word. He was living a miserable life as a result of his condition. I mean, I don't know about you. I wouldn't want to live that kind of a lifestyle, would you? Sitting by the roadside, waiting for a crowd to come by, having, holding a cup out. Alms, asking for alms, asking for alms. Would you like that to be your destiny? The life that you would live on this earth? Just to feed yourself and clothe yourself and have something to drink? No. No, number one, the cup that he had in his hand was not the cup of God's destiny. It was not the cup of God's destiny. Oh, that cup was filled with a lot of other things, but it was not the cup of God's destiny. It could have been the cup of despair. It could have been the cup of the enemy's destiny for his life. It could have been the cup of many things, but it was not the cup of God's destiny that he held in his hand. He had to do something to change that destiny. And it would take something to do it. Well, first of all, let's just say this. This man heard some things, some information that he received from other people that created faith within his heart. It was the right information. It was the correct information given to him by probably some people that he had known. Because you see, he's limited now. He can't get around as much as other people can. He didn't see these things happen with his own two eyes, but he heard. He had great ears. And he heard that this Jesus of Nazareth, we believe to be the Messiah. We believe he's the son of David. This is information that was transmitted to him from other people. Why? Because it created something within his heart to have him rise up and to do what he did. And so we see, here's an individual that hears something that's correct information. And how important is that? To hear correct information. The gospel we hear is the gospel we will live by. And if we hear a gospel that denies the miracle working power of God and says healing is not for today and so on and so forth, we will deny ourselves the right to change our destiny because we'll just sit back and just accept whatever it is that comes down the pike. That's not how you fight the good fight of faith. You don't sit on the sidelines and just say, well, this must be what God wants for my life. No, no. Number two, he was viewed as cursed of God with no hope. Now let's stop right there because there was a different attitude back then that people had toward people that were sick. There was a lack of compassion here because they actually believed that if you were sick, you were cursed of God. Don't you remember the other born, a man that was born blind and they, and, and, and they said to him, you, look at you, you're just a cursed man, born blind. You're going to teach us and tell us? Look at us, we're not blind, we're whole. And the attitude that they had was horrible, horrific. That's how they viewed someone who was sick. If you couldn't have a, a baby, if you were a woman, couldn't have a baby, once again, you're like an outcast. You're under some kind of a curse. God's curse is upon you. They had limited knowledge of what God was all about. This man was viewed, viewed as sitting under a curse, and everybody else was so much better than him. See, he wasn't as good as all the other people. So there he is, sitting on the curb, begging for food. Got his cloak on in the process. Well, 
He's viewed as a curse of God with no hope of ever, ever changing his situation. Number three, how about this one? There was no welfare program established or set up for him. There was no agencies in place. There was no vocational training center that he could go to for help or a Braille system. That's your next word, a Braille, B-R-A-I-L-L-E system set up. So in other words, in the natural, there was even a whole lot that they could do to help this man. This man had a miserable existence as he lived his life upon this earth. He had no means by which he can get even some kind of help. But he did get some information. There was a revelation that came to him because when he rose up and he cried out to God or Jesus, I would just say this. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of David, the son of the, uh, the Messiah, the son of the living God who has come. How did he get that revelation? Where did it come from? Someone came by and told him what they believed and he embraced it. He believed it. Number four, there was a different sound that happened on this day. He was used to specific sounds. I'm sure he knew when the army went by, when the soldiers went out. He heard all kinds of different signs and noises that were making when the priest came in and the, by the temple and they were talking and all that. But for him, for some reason, this was a different crowd, a different kind of sound. He heard something that really touched him and it caused him to cry out. And he cried out with a loud voice. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What's happening? What's going on? I hear this. This is not the same noise that, I've hear, that I hear every single day. And what does he get from the people? Look at the next thing. Five, what's happening? It's Jesus, be quiet. Be quiet. Hush. Be quiet. Don't say anything. The crowd will be gone and your cup will be full. That's all they can think of. Why? Because they can't help him. It's hopeless. It's full of despair. They could put some coins in his cup. They could possibly give him something to drink or eat. But that's all they could do for this individual. So be quiet. Accept your lot in life. This is God's plan. This is your destiny. Sit back and feast on the cup that's been handed to you in life. Well, quiet is your next word. Doesn't change your destiny. Quiet doesn't change our destiny. It just doesn't do it. This man refused to be quiet. That gives us a revelation of this man's motivation. There was something deep within his soul that would not take no for an answer. This man was not going to cower because all these other people that had their nose in the air thinking they're better than he is, he wasn't going to accept that fate. He was going to accept that destiny. He decided that he is going to even get all the louder. The Bible says he cried out all the more. Jesus Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now notice what he's asking for, your next two words. He's asking for mercy, not money. He's asking for mercy, not money. That's what he wants. 
Hey, money. What good is it? I can't see. I have no future. I'm in despair. I heard something about this man called Jesus, who I believe is the Messiah because this is what I've been told. He's healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and the list goes on and on. And there was a spark of hope that led to a faith in him that even caused him to defy all the others that said, be quiet. And he shouted all the louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What does that tell me? Tells me he had some revelation. He had a revelation of the Messiah. And even though he was blind physically, he wasn't blind spiritually. And oh, what a difference that makes. What a difference it makes. You ready for these next two words? Jesus, so look at number eight. Jesus stood still. Ooh, wow. What did he do? He stood. Imagine this. He stood still. You've got this massive crowd of people thronging Jesus. They're going wherever they're going. All this ruckus has taken place. Maybe Jesus is talking to them and saying a few things to them. This fellow over here is crying out, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Shh, hush, hush, hush. Be silent, be silent. The crowd will disperse in a moment. You're going to get all kind of money in your cup. I don't want mer money. I want mercy is what I want. I know what I want. I know who can give me what I want. I'm not going to walk away from this opportunity that I have. He could have, but no, 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 no. I'm not doing it. Tell me to be silent if you want to, but I am not. Jesus stood still. When one cries out to God in faith, asking for mercy, you got heaven's attention. You got heaven's attention. He stopped right there as if the whole thing came. You talk about quiet. Bring him to me. Whoa. You talk about quiet. It got quiet. Because you see this lowly guy that he, they saw over there by the curb begging it for alms. He now has an audience with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Bring him to me. So he brings him to Jesus. Well, in number nine, in verses 51 and 52, Jesus asks him a question. What is it that you want me to do for you? Now, you might think this is a silly question. This man is blind all these years. He's begging. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? It should be obvious, right? Well, maybe so. But you see how faith works? Jesus wanted to locate him. Jesus wanted him to express what he wanted. To share it. To say it. To proclaim it. And he said, Lord, I want to receive my sight. He states his desire. And what happens? His faith. Your next word. His faith changes his destiny. There's something important here that I don't want to leave out. When this man was called by Jesus to come and see him, he rose up and he threw off his cloak. The cloak identified who he is. The cloak identified him as a beggar. Back in those days, the cloak went, it took, it's like from the top all the way down to his ankles. 
It was used even at night to keep them warm. And it was very dear to them, very important to them. But also it identified him as being one who was allowed to beg on the side of the road and receive alms from people as they went by because of his condition. When he rose up, he threw it off. In other words, this isn't my destiny any longer. This isn't who I am any longer. He ripped that thing off as if I will never put you back on ever again. We don't see in scripture where it says that he took it back. I mean, he may have, but he wasn't going to wear it as he wore it before. This is no longer who I am. I don't identify with that any longer. What I want is my sight. What I want is mercy, not money. What I want is to be able to function in society like a normal human being and live my life to the glory and honor of the living God. Well, in point nine there, his faith changed his destiny. Uh, there are de destiny thieves, is your next word, destiny thieves, that attempt to get us off the road that promotes God's purpose for our lives. There are destiny thieves that try to get us off the path that God has for our lives or that he desires for our lives. Do you remember when Jesus cried out and just said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you understand the destiny that I have had for you, but you don't want it. You don't want it. You're throwing it by the wayside. Why won't you receive me? Why don't you see that I am your Messiah? How is it that you're so blind to the truth? You see, we can limit God. How many of you know that God can be limited? Psalm 78, 41 says that they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, in what way is he limited? Does that mean he's deficient in power? No. Deficient in ability? No. Deficient in planning and wisdom? No, not at all. How was he limited? That he could there do no mighty work because of unbelief, right? Unbelief kept him out of the promised land. Unbelief will keep us from receiving from God. And so these are the things we have to recognize that are thieves to our destiny. And if we allow them to dominate our lives, trust me, they will. So under point A, reasoning is one. Reasoning is one. Do we have all the other words up to this point? Reasoning will absolutely be a robber and a thief to us. You talk about walking around Jericho's walls. And remember, this is coming outside of Jericho. Jericho's walls. Jericho is a place of divine manifestation where the walls came tumbling down, where Rahab's house was protected you know, from, from uh, destruction and her family was saved as a result of it. It's a place of divine manifestation. And it's here where this miracle is taking place. Human reasoning tells us, how can you bring down these four to five walls by walking around the wall seven times? And then on the seventh time, sound the voice of the trumpet, the, the, um, the ram's horn, let it blow, and everybody shout. What a military strategy for success. Can you imagine that? Nobody can imagine that. Tell that to our armed forces today. They look at you and laugh at you and just say, what are we going to do about um, China? What are we going to do about what's going on over in North Korea? Well, we're just going to send a group of praisers over. Really? Yeah, we're going to send a group of praisers over. What? Well, you wanted a strategy. I was just reading over there in Second Chronicles where it talks about Jehoshaphat. Three armies were coming against them. 
And they just sent out the praisers and praised God. They praised God for, for victory and they got victory. Can you imagine that? Reasoning will get in the way. Reasoning will always talk us out of the things of God. It makes no sense to walk by faith. Because you know why? It rises up above our sense, knowledge, evidences. We walk by faith, not by sight. When I was, before I was saved, I remember I was with this family. And I guess they must have met some full gospel Pentecostal people because, remember, I'm from a denominational background. I'm not saved yet. And actually said to me, do you believe these crazy people think that they can get healed through divine means? And I looked at him and said, what do you mean by divine means? Just pray and God will heal them. I said, I can't believe that. I wasn't saved. Of course, you know, when you don't know anything, you don't know anything. I said, well, what do you give us doctors for and medicine for and all that? He said, isn't that God's help? Well, that's what we think. But these backs of these, these people are crazy. They actually think that you could just lay hands on them and pray and they'd be healed. He laughed. I laughed and said, yeah, they're crazy. And here I am laying hands on people to get healed. <laughs> Who would have thunk after all that? Reasoning gets in the way. It doesn't make any sense. When all of our tapes were stolen from our car when I was at school and learning about the ministry of angels and came from class. I mean, we're talking intense study of the word of God being taught now about angels and their ministry, how they hearken to the voice of God's word. And we give voice to God's word. And as we give voice to God's word, angels listening to what's going on. Remember Daniel said, or Gabriel said to Daniel, the moment you prayed, I was dispatched from heaven. I came for your words. But you know what? The prince of Persia interrupted me, stopped me. And finally, Michael came along and helped. And that's why I'm here to give you the answer that you prayed for 21 days ago. So there was interference there. Well, I just started to walk back to the, our, our apartment room. And, and, and I was going to say something like, all of our tapes are stolen, etc., etc. And I just did a stop halfway there. And I said, wait a minute. Those are my tapes. Angels of God, I lose you. You're ministering spirits to minister for me. To go back, go and get all my property back and bring it back to me. I, I guess you might say that I was just kind of a, just, you know, just plain and simple. Oh, that's done. Let's go. I went off to school, came back home, went off to work, came back home. And that night, I get a knock on the door. Someone's standing there, a little taller than I am. He's got all my teaching tapes. Like this. Looks like that. Are these yours? I said, mm-hmm. Here. Gave them to me, turned around, left, never saw them ever. Remember, I'm, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, not that long. I don't, even know, I don't know anyone there in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was stunned. Big faith person, right? I was stunned. <laughs> I was shocked. I went, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I did commission my angels to go bring back my tapes. They were all intact. All I said, and also I said this, and whoever listens to him, I pray they get saved as well. My point is human reasoning. It makes no sense. How am I going to get these tapes back? Just because I said, angels of the Lord, I release you to go. And they went out and got them. Or somehow inspired somebody to bring them. I don't know. I can't answer that. Next one is religious tradition. Oh, my. Religious tradition will definitely, without any doubt, destroy a destiny. Stop the word of God from being effective. Mark 7, 13. Remember what Jesus said? By your traditions, you have nullified the word of God. 
God's word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll accomplish anything and everything that it's sent to do. But if there is religious tradition that prevents a person from acting on the word of God, then guess what? It's ineffective. That's why Jesus gave us the parable of the seeds and the soils. The four different, the, the four different soils of the heart. And if it's, if it's shallow, it's not going to work. If it's full of uh, worry and anxiety, it's not going to work. If it's hard, it's not going to work. It, the heart has got to be a heart that's full of patience and faith. And that'll do it. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. But he let us know that because religious tradition is an enemy to our faith. And, of course, fear is another one, without a doubt. So your words are reasoning, religious tradition, fear. We're all nullified, will nullify the word and its effectiveness in the life of a person. So it's important that we recognize that. Look, we're dealing on this side of heaven with these issues that we face in life. How many of you know your loved ones in glory aren't even concerned about COVID at all? Not even a thought in their mind. There's none of it there. But here on this planet, of course, we are dealing with these issues, these circumstances that arise and come up to try to prevent us from experiencing the destiny that God has for us. If we accept that, let's say, announcement that the enemy puts in our lives, it's not going to change. When I was told we can't have any children, I was young in the Lord, didn't know any better, and I said, I understand, okay, no problem. If God wanted me to have more kids, we'd have more kids. That's so easy just to say, isn't it? And I accepted that, point blank. So much so, how about this? I said, Lord, you don't want me to have any more children. Okay, so we're going to adopt. Think that through for a moment. Let that sink in your ears. I know, we'll adopt. You don't want us to have children, we're going to adopt. Someone once said, God wants me to be sick with this to teach me a lesson. Uh, okay, where are you going? Off to the doctors to get better. What kind of logic is that? God wants me to be sick to teach me a lesson, but you're going to get medicine to get better. So we do things that are illogical, and we don't even realize it. You should say this. I've been attacked with sickness. God wants me well. I'm going to a doctor to get better, to get whatever help I can in a natural and use God's supernatural power as well in my life to get better because he wants me well. He wants me whole. Well, when I bought the lie and just said, well, there's no way we can't have any more children. A brother in the Lord just said for me to read Psalm 128, which I did. Psalm 128 says you're going to have children around your table like olive plants. And I said, I don't have olive plants. I have an olive plant, not olive plants. And when I saw that, I said, whoa, wait a minute. That's not my destiny. This changes the whole thing. Got on my knees, repented before God and said, oh, Lord, I'm misrepresenting you so, to so many people. I was wrong in saying that. Forgive me. Now I got the word, not religious tradition. I got the word, prayed for her. She got healed. And we started having children, more children. What happened? The destiny was changed by faith. But had, had I accepted the lie that God doesn't have any more kids, it would have stopped right there. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, here's an example of this. See, the Israelites were given such an opportunity to experience 
something so wonderful. A land that flows with milk and honey. A place where they can experience God in a powerful and glorious way. Where he would actually defend them before their enemies, be an enemy to their enemies, the adversary to their adversaries. He could, they could have enjoyed the fullness of that. And think about the reward they would have had just by entering in the first generation under Moses that, to enter into the thing, to the promised land. They could have enjoyed that, experienced that. But what kept them out? Unbelief. Here in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 25 and 26. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us, notwithstanding you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. What a perfect example of God's perfect will was a land that flows with milk and honey and the fullness of the benefits he had provided for them, but they didn't get in, not because it wasn't their destiny, not because God didn't will it, but because they refused to step out of the boat and walk on the water by faith and say, I'm going to face every opposing force of darkness that's coming against me. But as far as I'm concerned, I'm exalting God's word above the situation. So this is an example of fear promoting the devil's plan. And your next word is succeeding. We don't want to hear that word succeeding. It is the devil's plan. And through fear, he succeeded in keeping them out of the promised land. So if we listen to these things, we'll pitch our tents in the wilderness and only get water and bread. Isn't that what they ate? Manna and water in the wilderness. That's what they had. So we can sit back and just say, I'm satisfied with water and bread. And if you haven't heard, it's 45 tons of manna coming down every day. And 11 million gallons of water coming out of rock every, every single day to take care of their needs. How would you like to pay that bill? Imagine that. Well, you ready for it? We, look at your next line, must dip our hands in the blood of Jesus and pull up those tent stakes and get back on the road that promises God's will. Dip your hands in the blood of the Lamb. Pull up those stakes. Don't let religious tradition, don't let reasoning, don't let fear, don't let doubt keep us staked in a destiny that's not the will of God. Get some blood on your hands, the blood of Jesus, like the doorpost and the lintel, praise God, and just say, enough is enough, this is all there is to it. I'm overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And so you pull up those stakes, uh-uh, no, you, you deceived me before, but you're not deceiving me now. I'm not staying here. As far as I'm concerned, I'm walking free from all this. Bartimaeus, under point one, could have stayed where he was, but he spoke up, spoke up as your word, he spoke up, got up, went to Jesus, and what does he do? He changes his destiny. Oh, hallelujah. He changes his destiny. You know, there are times when all we can see is despair, when all we can see is defeat, when all we can see in the natural realm in which we live, there is no way out, no way of escape, and then you get to the place to where you think, that's all there is to it. I must submit to it, succumb to it, or give in to it. And God will send some labors of love across our path and just say, you don't have to. 
You don't have to. It doesn't have to remain this way. Is it going to take some work? Oh, you know it's going to take some work. It's going to take bulldog tenacity. It's going to take individuals that say enough is enough. As far as I'm concerned, I remember what blind Bartimaeus did. He could have sat there quiet. He could have listened to what they said. He could have felt inferior. He could have felt like as though he's an outcast. He could have felt he's under a curse. He has no right to go before someone like Jesus. Oh, the crowd, they had the right to surround him because they were whole. They weren't blind. He could have sat there in his own victim mentality and said, this is my lot in life. You know, this is my destiny. This is what God wants for me. But I could just see him. Oh, I could just see him. When he heard what he heard, it sparked faith in his heart because faith comes by hearing. And then when he heard the crowd, oh, I mean to tell you, it began to rise up on the inside of him. And when he started crying out to Jesus and they said, be silent, he got even louder. Oh, sometimes you just got to get louder. You know why you got to get louder? Because the enemy is playing the game with your ears and your mind. He's coming against us and louder and louder and louder and louder. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know what we're going to do? We're going to believe God all the louder. We're going to shout it all the louder from the mountaintops. No, as far as I'm concerned, like Paul said, I believe God. It shall be even as it was told me. What he said is what I expect. What he said is what I ex- will experience in my life. You got to get all the louder. And what happened? He got up and got his miracle because he was not backing down. He was not giving up. And fainting. In the book of Acts, chapter 27 and 28, notice your words here. It pays to know our destination. It pays to know our destination. Our destination, theirs was the promised land. That was a place of complete supply and really intimacy with God. That was where they were going to be. Our destination, of course, is eternal glory. We understand that. But the trip along the way. We want to experience the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Don't we want that? Because that's what he died for. Well, the apostle Paul, when he was out there on the ship, he had a destination. That destination was Rome. And when they set out to sail, when they set to sail, he said, we shouldn't go because it's going to create all kind of havoc. And they said, who are you but a preacher? We navigate through these storms. We know what's going on. Be silent quiet, etc., etc. Well, finally, you know what happens. A storm takes place and everybody's just really in fear for their lives. They're going to die. Well, an angel appears to him and says to Paul, fear not. Listen to me. You tell them, if they listen to me, that not one hair on their head would be harmed if they stay on the boat and do it God's way. That's what he said to Paul. Well, he said, Paul, you got a destination. You can't drown out here in this sea. You've got to get to Rome. It pays to have a destination. See, Paul's saying, i got to get to Rome. I can't fall along the way. I've got something to fulfill. I've got a duty that I've got to accomplish. And so he says here in your notes, he had an appointment. With Caesar. It pays. He had, he had a destination. An appointment with Caesar. That was his appointment. He had to keep it. You know you and I got an appointment with healing. We've got an appointment with health. We've got an appointment with mental wholeness. We've got an appointment with victory. 
It's ours. It belongs to us. But you've got a destiny thief that wants to take it from you, and so do I. Doesn't want us to experience it. It's up to us to fight the good fight of faith and make a declaration of our faith that, you know what? I am not going to sit back like a beggar and just let life run all over me. Anything the devil has against me, I am not allowing to run all over me. Uh, look at the next one. It goes, it, Acts 28. Here's Paul. He gets off the boat. The ship is wrecked. They're on an island of Melita. And while they're there, he's warming himself by the fire. He's going to get some sticks. He's going to, once again, add to the fire. When a serpent, a venomous beast, attaches itself to his arm. Now imagine that. The natives there said he should have been dead within a minute or two. Should have been dead right there. Paul remembered he had a destiny, or destination rather. He had to go see Caesar at Rome. He couldn't die out there in the sea, and I can't die here by the serpent's bite, by this venomous beast. So what does he do? Shakes it off. Can you imagine this? Now, I don't know about any of you here. Anyone like snakes? Anybody really like snakes? Anyone like poisonous snakes? Snakes? Mm -mm. I don't think anyone does. There might be some people out there that like them, fool with them, but... But for the most part, we don't like snakes. Paul, you talk about an example of a level of faith that goes beyond our comprehension. He gets bit. Let's just say he gets bit here, right here, on, on the wrist, or wherever it attaches itself to his arm. Fangs in, poison flowing from that moment on. And he performs the original snake and shake. Just like that. And goes about his business. Now, he's got the attention of all these natives. They're, they're like, I'll give him five minutes. I think three. Let's wager. He won't last three even. I think, I think two. And they're watching. And they're watching. And they're watching. And guess what? He doesn't die. They're stunned. Then he goes, prays for other people on the island, and they get healed. What produces that kind of faith? They that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. He knew his covenant rights. He knew the truth that liberated him and set him free. Isn't it something you can rise up to a place that you could be like that and just say, well, I'm sorry, you can't take me. I haven't, I haven't seen Caesar yet. I got a destination. You can't take my life. Man, what boldness. What faith. I have, we're going to close this with these next seven things, which, let me give you your word first. Paul shook off the beast. He knew it couldn't prevent him from going to Rome. Just like the crowd couldn't prevent Bartimaeus from going to Jesus, the beast could not prevent him from going to Rome and fulfill his destination, get to or arrive at his destination. In these, these are seven steps I've taught this so many times, and I'll tell you what, I pray they, get, they sing into our ears. This is based on Joshua chapter 5, verses uh, through, all, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 3. These, these are the walls of Jericho, where, where I said is the place of divine manifestation. And you extract from these particular verses of Scripture these seven points. Number one, 
Our enemy is defeated. This produces a high level of faith. When we know our enemy is defeated. Jesus broke the power of sin, sickness, and disease, and death by his redemptive work. Our enemy is defeated. Now, let me just qualify this. This is what Joshua was told by God to teach his generation faith. How important is this? Under Moses, they didn't get in because religious tradition kept them out. Under Joshua, they got in. Why? Because they operated in faith, not unbelief. So what did Joshua use to teach faith to the people of God? Number one, your enemy is defeated. That in itself is a lesson. Each one of these is a lesson. Number two, you'll see this in verse two of chapter five. We have a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. In our Western mentality, too often we don't recognize the depth of a blood covenant relationship. A blood covenant relationship is so powerful that you just don't break it. You break it, you die. It's a powerful covenant. There's no time to explain. We'll get to it. Number three in verse 10. Remember where you were. Remember where you are. And remember how we got there. Remember where you were before you came to Christ. Where were you in sin? Where were you on your way to an eternal destruction? Where were you? You're about to enter into the realms of darkness and, and just be overwhelmed until you finally die and just go to the lake of fire. Well, can I ask how you got out? May I ask how you got out? Did you get out by any effort on your own? I don't think so. So remember where we were. Where were we? We were lost in our sin. Where are we? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, thank God, and on the solid ground. How did we get here where we're at? How did we get here? It wasn't through our effort. It was through the blood of Jesus Christ that we're here where we're at. So, remember where we were, where we are, and how we got here. Our enemies were defeated. We got a covenant with God. And we're here because of supernatural power God displayed on our behalf to bring us out of the realms of darkness and give us a brand new heart and life. That's where we're at. Number four, or number four, verse 12. It is a new day. How important is that? You ready for a new day? It is a new day. And what is that new day to them? That new day to them was this. For 40 years you ate manna. For 40 years, God took care of you in the wilderness. All the water out of the rock and all the manna came down from heaven. It is a new day. That's about to end. This is about to end. This is over. It's time to rise up. It's time to get up like Bartimaeus. It's time to go forward and just say, I am not staying back here. I'm not staying in complacency. I am rising up and I'm going to get a whole lot further into things of God. And that's exactly what he is saying. It's a new day. Number five. Verses 13 to 15. We are not alone in this endeavor. I'm not alone. You're not alone. This is not something you and I are doing apart from God. We're not alone. And this is when the captain of the host of the army of the living God came and, and visited Joshua. And Joshua said, are you for us or for the enemy? He said, I'm on your side, man. We believe that was Jesus that appeared to him. And he said, I'm with you. I'm on your side. So we're not alone, praise God, in this. That's number five. We're not alone. He's defending us. Number six, he already gave us the land. He already gave us the land. He gave us the victory. 
He gave us our healing. He gave us our deliverance. He gave us everything that we need to rise up and be victorious in this life. He already gave it to us. And here's the sad part about it. He gave it to us and we don't know it. We don't realize we already have it. We're trying to get it, but we already have it. See, we have it in its invisible form, but it's not manifested in its physical form. And so what takes it? What does it take to make it manifest? Faith. While we look not at things seen, but things that are not seen, things that are seen are temporal, things that are not seen are eternal. Those are the things. Faith is the substance of what you hope for. It's the evidence of what you do not see. In other words, I'm going to say I have it before I see it. That's how faith operates. It's, it's contrary to the way we think as human beings. I've got to say I have it. I've got to believe I received it before I see it. And that's how faith works. So he already gave us the land. And here it is, number seven. I don't know what he's telling you to do, but I'll tell you what. He's tell, he'll tell, he told me to do some crazy things before. I may have time or, or not to share it with you, but here in, in chapter 6 and verse 3, he says, whatever he says to do, do it, even if it is illogical. Faith is not logical. Faith is not logical. It goes against logic. It goes against reason. You know, so do what he says to do, even if it's illogical. Those are the seven truths that we can use to change our destiny here on this earth. He told me to go and buy a theater organ when I moved to Tulsa and I was downsizing, not upsizing. I was storing furniture back in Youngstown. I'm going to go down there. I sold my guitar. I sold my amplifier because I'm downsizing. I'm not going to travel with something that I don't need. And so I take it to the store. I give it to the, the owner. of the store. I tell him, what will you give me for this? I was so foolish. I, I could have got a whole lot more for that. But I just said, I just, I'm, I'm leaving to go to Tulsa, et cetera, et cetera. And as I'm walking out, I'm ready. I just got my money. I'm walking out the store. And I hear the Holy Ghost say, buy that theater organ. And I'm like, what? I actually walked out to the car. And I was so convicted, I turned around, walked back in and just said, how much for that theater organ? $1,600. Gee, back in 1978. Wow, $1,600. Okay. Lord, I just spent all, I just got all this money so I could move. And okay, I buy it. Go down to Tulsa. Spend time down there. The son is born. Hospital bills there. I don't have a job that I had before because of I left a mill. Had good benefits and all that. But I left a mill. And there I am down in Tulsa. It's time to leave Tulsa. And I'm just kind of talking to God. And I just say, now, you know, I never, never would want to leave this place owing people money. And you told me to come here. You got leverage when you know he told you to do something. You told me to come here. Not me. You told me to come here. And I said, um, that bill at the hospital, I don't want to leave with. You think you got something on God, right? Yeah, you told me to come here and do this. You know what he said to me? Sell the organ. What? Sell the organ. You told me to buy the organ. I came down here with the organ. And now you tell me to sell the organ. Mm-hmm. Because, you see, he knew that we would spend all our money just to live. He knew that. But we wouldn't spend the organ. So, I put it in it like a penny saver. One day, it's out. Some mm, seasoned lady comes over to the apartment. Can I see that? Mm-hmm. You can look at it. 
How long has it been? Just the first. This, this is the first day it was in. You're the first person to call. I'll take it. I said, may I ask why? You want to buy this big theater organ? I said, yeah, my granddaughter is going to be taking lessons. She's never had one yet. I just want to get her something to use. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, you want to buy that for that? Just a, little, just a little keyboard or something. Like, No, she wants to buy this big, massive theater organ for her granddaughter who's never had a lesson. How much you want for it? And I said, well, that's just what I paid for it. Would you pay for it? $1,600. Okay, here. I went to the hospital. What's the bill? $1,600. Here. Paid the bill. Does he know us better than we know ourselves? I, would have, I wouldn't have had the money. Sometimes he tells you to do things that are what? Illogical. Let's stand together before the Lord.